Thank you, Wilma. I feel I can't really live up to that. I think I shall uh, go. Uh, Douse. This is um, him, drawn by Barry. Uh, there's a little uh, inscription on the back in Douse's hand saying, scarcely, scarcely a particle of resemblance. <laughs> but I think it must be quite like him. And in fact, there's a fellow um, portrait by Barry of him done about the same time in the um, Ashmolean. Uh, and he looks very similar. Um, Excuse me? Yes. I wonder if I would hear better if you stood right near the microphone. Uh, no, because that microphone is not on. But there should be something on me. There is. I mean, there is something on me. Is it not working? Well, I can come stand over that side, Margaret. No, it is not on, never mind. It is on, this one. It oh, is, is it? On. Yes. Okay, is that better? Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, Anyway, so that's Daos. Um, his contribution to the Genius Exhibition, which is what is prompting this talk today, um, is extraordinary. There are 12 items in the Genius Exhibition from Daos's collection, um, more than from any other single source. Uh, and they range from um, Dürer's uh, woodcut of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse to uh, Mughal miniatures, a 9th century Carolingian ivory plaque, uh, to a presentation binding for Elizabeth I. Um, they are all notable for their quality, their rarity, and their value. Of the printed items, there exist nine copies of this uh, Blake illuminated book, The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. There are far more of the Dürer um, apocalypse. Um, and of some of the other printed items in the exhibition, there are many copies. The Caxton advertisement is pretty rare. There are two copies, and they both belong to Douse. Uh, he gave one to his uh, chum, Lord Spencer, um, this little book is unique. Um, it's not from the exhibition, uh, but it prompted me to think that there's another aspect, yet another aspect of Dows, uh, which easily fits in with the theme of the exhibition. Um, this is one of only half a dozen collections of uh, printed books, printed collections of nursery rhymes uh, which have survived from the 18th century. And there are half a dozen more, at least, that we know which haven't survived. Um, the ones that do survive are all very rare. Uh, Dowse's interest in this area um, is uh, a mark, it seems to me, to study such childish things in the late 18th century, a mark of genius himself. Uh, 
One of the first books we know he bought for his collection is this uh, collection of um, nursery rhymes, Gamma Girton's Garland, uh, put together by Joseph Ritson, um, in, published in Ritson's hometown of Stockton in 1783. Um, this is Dowse's inscription. Um, and I think he must have bought it uh, more or less as soon as it was published in 83 or 84. Uh, his hand is quite different from the Dowsian hand that uh, those of you who are familiar with his books uh, will be used to. Um, later in life it became very cramped and small. Um, it's also rather unusual sentiment for the older Dowse. Um, and the sort of schoolboyish joke of the hiatus valde de flendus, um, which is sort of the equivalent of nature of pores of vacuum, which is just you know, filling the space between the top and the bottom inscriptions, uh, seems not the sort of thing one would associate with Dowse in a later, a, a later uh, period. Um, he bought this before he got to know Ritson. Ritson was one of those um, band of scholars, although Ritson always moved on the edge of the circle, uh, which included people like Heber, Scott, Park, Ellis, Douse himself, who were all interested in English and Scottish songs and romances. Um, this is the same uh, Gamma Girton's Garland, and that's the young hand of Dowse saying F Dowse. Ignore the, the shelf mark, that's a library um, mark. And this is a much older Dowse um, who's writing, um, giving you some information about the book, as he so often does in his books. Uh, he's always annotating them. Um, and it's quite interesting to note that this is on a, an inserted piece of paper uh, which is ruled with uh, red lines down the margins. And I think he must have inserted this uh, leaf uh, much later on. Um, in the, the volume, uh, we find um, Dow's actually adding nursery rhymes which he's come across elsewhere. Um, and these would contribute to his own edition of Gamma Girton's Garland, which he published in 1810. Um, but there, the relation with Ritson, he got to know Ritson later, and they became great friends, uh, insofar as Ritson could be a great friend of anyone. Um, but they had a huge falling out um, uh, in the uh, very late 19th century, early, um, very late 18th, early 19th century. It was probably about 1803. Um, Ritson was eccentric in many ways. Um, one of his uh, passions was uh, 
vegetarianism. Uh, and it was the vegetarian diet which was the cause of the break with Daos. Um, Frederick Madden of the British Museum tells the story thus, claiming to have heard it directly from Daos. Ritson was sitting in Mr. Daos's house, eating some bread and cheese for luncheon, when a little girl who was in the room very innocently looked up in Mr. Ritson's face and said, La, Mr. Ritson, what a quantity of mites you are eating. Ritson absolutely trembled with passion, laid down his knife and abruptly quitted the room. On Mr. Dow's following him, he said in a tone of excitement, you have done this on purpose to insult me. The only answer Mr. Dow's made was, sir, there is the door. I never wish to see you again within it. What made the little girl's remark hurt so much was the fact that Ritson had given a special praise to the Brahmins, in inverted commas, for not confining murder to the killing of a man. They religiously abstained from taking away the life of the meanest animal, mite, or flea. Was he now, after a life of scrupulous and humane self-denial, to be forbidden his favorite food or convicted of a sin against his own doctrines by a child, his shattered nerves would not stand the shock. He declared that he would never ta taste another drop of tea in Dowse's house, never commune with him in the museum reading room, never even exchange with him the common forms of civility. Uh, Dowse wrote to Ellis, Ellis soon afterwards that Ritson and he had parted we have taken a formal leave of each other under our hands and seals, probably forever. And yet after his death, he wrote to Joseph Hazelwood, a mutual friend who was compiling a life of Ritson. I really loved the man to an extent he little dreamt of. Um, so there are possibly three stages of additions to this little book that Daos has um, made. Um, these are uh, in his earlier hands. I think this was soon after um, the book was bought by Daos. And you can't really see from here, but just the absence of the, the rule down the margin shows that it's a, at a different um, time from the later Daos. There is also uh, a page of um, pencil uh, insertions, um, diddery diddery dock, and is that all right? All right. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, and little Bo Peep, and we'll see those um, later on. And then this is the mature Daos. Um, again, this is an insertion made much later on the paper ruled with the red lines. Um, and this is typical of Daos. He can't simply write the rhyme he's heard, snail, snail, come out of your hole, or else I'll make you as black as coal. But we get a long learned note uh, on the nursery rhyme. Um, which, of course, is exactly what Daos was doing with nursery rhymes. He was thinking about them and he was putting them in their context. Um, 
as part of the literature uh, of the people of the time. Uh, and there are quite a lot of these rhymes. Um, uh, there's nice little note uh, NB at the bottom. For the two last, I'm indebted to my pretty little sister, Emily Corrie, in 1795. Uh, so that probably dates uh, the period of these uh, editions. Uh, uh, little boy blew it, come blow, blow me your horn. Um, quite different from the little boy blue that we know. And again, we'll see later that quite a few of these um, do make their way into Dias's own edition of the nursery rhymes. This one, feedum fiddledum fee, the cat's got into the tree, pussy come down or I'll crack your crown and toss you into the sea. And he proudly <laughs> owns up to authorship, <laughs> Auctore FD. Uh, so he's really interested in, and um, nonsense is another of um, the uh, things that Das was particularly interested in. Um, his collection of prints is uh, full of uh, references and depictions of fools and folly. And here he's um, a friend of his, Mrs. Salter, um, who's also contributing to his uh, additions uh, to the Gamma-Gurton's Garland collection. Uh, and this, uh, again, sort of typically of Dowse, this is his edition uh, published by his friend, or published for his friend um, Richard Tripook in 1810. No sign in it that Dowse had anything to do with it whatsoever. Um, and then there's snail, snail, come out of your hole, or else I'll make you as black as coal. I don't know if any of you noticed he'd had Sing Jig My Jill, the pudding bowl. Um, a different Dr. Forster from the one he had in his notes. Uh, little boy blew it, come blow me your horn. Dickery, dickery, dock. Dingle Dingle Doozy was one of the ones, the cat's in the well. And then we had the roses red, the grass is green, serve King George our noble king. Uh, and that was, do you remember the pencil um, insertion uh, was Little Bo Peep, or at least the first two verses. Um, by the time Gamma Gurton's Garland was published by Dowse in 1810, um, his collection of nursery rhymes, uh, this sounds to me as though it's going, it's doubling me. Is it like that to you or perhaps? No, that's all right then. Um, his collection of nursery rhymes had grown considerably, uh, not least from his pur purchase of lot 259 at the auction of Ritson's own library after his death in December 183. Um, 
the Lot 259 is simply described as a parcel of children's books which Douse bought for six and sixpence. Um, I suspect that now, I've had different thoughts about this, but at the moment I think that this is probably a, a library binding put on a collection of little chapbooks, cheap, um, cheap books in wrappers uh, to protect them. Um, this <laughs> photograph is extraordinary because the book is about this size. Um, it is not some gigantic um, biblical folio. Um, and typical chul uh, of children's books is being uh, using this what we call flowery Dutch gilt paper um, to put on the bindings. Um, uh, this is just to show you the sort of things that were in that volume, that are in that volume, um, different uh, nursery rhyme books. Um, and here is another, a later edition of Ritson's Gammergurton's Garland. Um, and you see Dowse has uh, said that it's by Ritson and the frontispiece has Ritson's own copy. And it looked as though probably Ritson was um, marking it up for another edition and cancelling that particular uh, woodcut. Uh, this is inside that volume I showed you the covers of. And this is simply to show you um, the sort of wrappers. So that's the end of one book, and this is the beginning of the next one. Uh, it's quite nice that you can see from this one, this is the edge of the leaf, that the, the printed area has an actual margin which is used by the binders of these cheap books. They don't waste anything. Uh, and there are all sorts of um, books in this volume, uh, but mostly they are very cheap. Um, Evans was um, famously a producer of cheap, popular literature. Now this is a slightly different um, wrapping paper, and this is the, the wrapper of the one which uh, I'm going to talk about next. The one that I said is actually unique. The Tom Titt's Songbook, being a collection of old songs with which most young wits have been delighted, to which is added the death and burial of Cock Robin. Um, it was printed for uh, a man with the unusual name of Caesar Danby Peganit, at least I assume it's pronounced Peganit, um, in about 1790. Uh, it's not dated, as you can see. Uh, I have been unable to trace an advertisement for it, so can't um, be more precise about the date of publication. Uh, Peganit seems to have been in business as a stationer and bookseller from 1774 to 1798, but at number eight Aldgate, his address on this one, only from 1784. So we've got a period 1784 to 98 when uh, this could have been produced. In ESTC, there are 50 imprints containing his name. 
Um, and from those, I couldn't uh, work out what he was particularly interested in producing. There are some school books, there are practical manuals, there are sermons. But 50 books over 24 years doesn't seem a lot to me. Um, and I suspect, apart from titles which may not have survived, um, that as uh, James Raven has recently discussed in his book on uh, London printing and publishing in the 18th century, uh, Piganit was doing a lot of his work in jobbing printing and that books were possibly even a less important part of his work. And of course, the jobbing printing is what's most elusive um, in this period because there are hardly any records that survive uh, of it and a lot of it is produced anonymously. By jobbing printing I mean um, printing of things like labels, notices, um, anything uh, produced with print on it, um, paper bags and so on. Um, and a lot of stationery of course. Um, yeah, so who printed this book, we don't know. Um, but it has several interesting features which distinguish it as something more than ordinary. Um, it's a 16 mo, so it's very small, uh, made up of two gatherings. The first and last leaves are blank because they're actually pasted to the decorated paper wrappers. Um, it's sold for tuppence, two pence, um, which makes it neither very cheap nor expensive for the period and the type of book it is. Um, it has alternate red and black openings. Um, which is odd. It's not common, certainly. And if you, um, if we go back, you see the, uh, the cuts, there's one on nearly every page, are of different sizes. And to accommodate the size differences, they actually use a smaller typeface when there's a big cut from when there's a little cut, which takes some thought in uh, whoever was designing the book, although I don't think they had much concept of book design then. Um, it's the printers getting up to what they knew best how to do, I think. Um, but the, the other thing is that it's the, you know, the, the standard nursery rhymes are being used in uh, this verse, these verses. Um, drink often um, occurs in nursery rhymes, unusually. <laughs> um, and now we've finished with Tom Titt's songbook, um, and some of the other uh, books of nursery rhymes that are in the Dowsian collection. Um, it's Pretty Tales for Children, The um, Cat and the Fiddle, famous uh, subject for illustration. We had one earlier, you'll remember. Um, completely mad. 
um, I had a little husband as a, um, a good one. And that is, of course, the same sort of um, nonsensical verse. Um, and it's quite nice. The dish jumped top of the table to see the pot wash the ladle. And you see that eye actually in the pot watching uh, the ladle being washed. <laughs> Nancy Cox's pretty songbook was, this is a, a late edition of it. Again, it was one of the um, very earliest uh, compilations of nursery rhymes in the 18th century. Now, this is a, a bit of an oddity. I, don't, I haven't been able to identify it, um, but it's uh, eight leaves um, printed on one side only of nursery rhymes without a title page or imprint or anything. Um, uh, I wondered whether they were produced for uh, sale as separate items, but um, it is actually a gathering. Um, so it's uh, folded. Um, now, I wanted to uh, show that Das was inter his interest in children and things to do with children wasn't only in nursery rhymes. Um, and this was one of the uh, most famous um, books of engravings, uh, Les Jeux et Plaisirs de l'Enfance, um, by uh, Jacques Stella, um, published in, as you can say, 1667. Um, and this has delightful illustrations of toddlers playing different games. Um, this is uh, with soap bubbles. There's hoops and um, uh, the ball game. That's them playing lacrosse. And sports, of course, is another of Taos's great interests. So, um, he had two copies of this book. Uh, one of them is imperfect, and I suspect he acquired one deliberately to take to pieces so that he could file, for instance, this plate, Lacrosse, Lacrosse uh, with other images he had of that game. This copy is remarkable, and it's typical, again, of uh, Daus. I don't know, bookish, the bookish of you will recognize this is the um, coat of arms of de Tou, um, great French bibliophile uh, and collector. And the dedication is to the sons, the four sons of Monsieur, Monsieur Jacques Auguste de Tou. And we find that this is de Tou's copy with his coat of arms, which you'll recognize now, uh, on the covers. And not only is it de Tou's copy that Daos acquired, but it's got some two drawings mm -hmm. on the same subject, and Daos has actually ascribed them to Stella, the artist of the whole book. Uh, so it's a, an extraordinary thing. I see I'm running out of time. Um, I just wanted to, having uh, shown you a book of rather 
very high quality engravings, um, there are some much better quality uh, nursery rhyme books in the collection. And this is one of them, published by Tabart, who was a famous, um, distinguished, and very serious producer of children's books. Um, this is the story of uh, happiness to misery uh, in a marriage, back to happiness when they have a little boy. Um, this one uh, is of not nursery rhymes, but of rhymes as a sort of rival to nursery rhymes. Um, the whole merit it has to recommend it is that being free from any evil tendency, um, and da 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 So th th this is uh, good nursery rhymes. Um, this one prompts a, a rhyme about um, the uh, evil of cruelty to animals. Um, this Jack Pig Hog, uh, he stuffs himself silly with fruit. At length he felt sick, so sick and so bad. No more could he relish the fruit that he had. His bowels, they gave him most violent pain. All methods to ease them for a long time were vain. <laughs> Uh, he ends up lying immobile and in agony. Um, I repent of my crime. Obedience let others learn in due time, and all my young friends would earnest, I would earnestly pray, oh, be good, and to mind what their kind parents say. Um, and then finally, we have the naughty children who um, having been put to bed nicely by their fond mama, steal out in the dark. Um, as soon as they get out <laughs> into the, uh, they leave the garden and go into the country. Um, one little girl knocked herself down against a great tree, quite stunned with the fall and the blow on her head. Uh, then her brother Tom treads on a snake, which bites his thigh, and he rolls around howling with pain. Not knowing what to do, the other two sisters creep home, but the house is all in darkness and no one responds. Eventually, Mama comes and sorts them all out. Her final words when she has comforted them and put them back to bed, I trust you no more will such frolics pursue, or what is forbidden, attempt e'er to do. And that must be the end of our frolics. Thank you very much.